Welcome to the York County Economic Alliance podcast series produced by Bold Creative Media. As York County's official Chamber of Commerce and Economic Development Organization, we're here as a resource center to connect you to specialized funding, business services, advocacy programs, and events to help you and your business thrive. Hello, everyone. This is Kevin Triber with the York County Economic Alliance with another series in our podcasts. And today joining me is a dear friend and an incredible attorney, Miss Mika Driscoll, who is the co-chair of the business group and also a shareholder at the CGA law firm in downtown York. And today's topic is really, we're focusing in on, on entrepreneurs, small businesses, startups, if you will, but really what do you want to know uh, if you had an attorney for, for the next 29 minutes on a podcast? What are some of the things that you would ask them? But, but for starters, let's ask Mika, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, and thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. We're, as you mentioned, I am the co-chair of the business group and a shareholder at CGA. I've been there since about 2005, since I graduated from law school. Um, I grew up here in York, and so I'm invested here in the York community and um, at CGA, we do a lot of business representation, varying from, from small to larger businesses, but we see a lot of startups come in, um, especially they might come in maybe six months to a year down the road, um, and we see a lot of things that we probably could have helped them with at the outset if they had jumped in um, and had an attorney uh, working with them at the beginning. So I thought this topic might be something that would be helpful to anyone who has a great idea and is thinking of starting a business, so they start to put their business plan together early. That's a, that's a great segue, Mika, because I can't, you know, on a, on a daily, weekly basis, I'm sure you get it as well, we do have a, a host of folks who are incredibly enterprising throughout the York County community that call in and say, I have a great idea, I have a dollar and a dream, sometimes not even the dollar, but, you know, our first advice is to really start to work on that business plan. Um, we've got great partners throughout the community, be it SCORE, Community First Fund. Um, but if if you had the ability to intervene and offer advice at the outset, you know, if someone were to call you up and say, Mika, I've got a business that I'm starting, what do I do? What, right. what What's some of the advice that you would immediately give them? Yeah, and I, I came up with a list of about five things that would that would be that your attorney would want you to know before you started a business. I could probably list ten to twenty right. things, um, and you know, as you said, you have you have a great idea, you've got a business plan, and that's all very exciting. And those are exciting areas to spend time on, and especially if you have an idea and a dollar, it might be really difficult to think about about uh, right. engaging professional advisors. But I think it can be really really helpful. Um, and some of the things that come to mind for us are deal with entity selection, um, you know, who you're working with, what are you going to do for insurance coverage, uh, thinking about employee matters and employment matters early, and thinking about your location because you can get tripped up in a lot of different ways um, with regard to your location and the space that you're using to operate your business in. So to start first a little bit with entity selection, that's probably really the easiest one to, to talk about first, but there's a number of ways you can approach how you want to be formed. You can work as a sole proprietor, which really just means that you're going to um, operate under a different business, maybe get a separate tax ID number from you as an individual, but you're really going to run the business under you um, as an individual. We recommend that you consider a more formal entity. Um, most often for a startup, a limited liability company will work really well. 
Um, it's flexible. It's easy to form. Um, there's a lot less uh, corporate um, responsibilities that you have on a regular basis in order to make sure you're keeping up with corporate formalities, and it, it's pretty flexible. Um, as an alternative to that, you could be an S corporation or a C corporation, which is a little bit more formal um, and requires uh, a board, board meetings, things like that, that a limited liability company offers you a little bit more flexibility with. So limited liability company is really um, the, the entity that we often recommend, but it's not one size fit all, fits all. It really depends on, on what you're doing um, and, and what is the widget that you're selling and, and how you're making your money. And then an accountant should really be brought in to help give extra advice specific to your business, what makes the most sense from a tax perspective. Right. That's, that's right. an important perspective as well, in addition to just the liability protection that you get when you form an entity as opposed to operating as an individual. But you also want to think about how that's going to affect you from a tax perspective. So, so that's entity selection. Mm-hmm. So, all right, so we figured it out. Mm-hmm. We're going to form an LLC. And we've talked to an accountant, and they told us they've they've told my LLC to start segregating funds and using one bank account. We're getting that set up. So then, what's next? Well, then I think you really want to think about who you're working with, and that could mean um, who you're working with in terms of who your partners are. Um, and it become it can become very obvious on the back end how important setting up those relationships are. And here specifically. Uh, assuming that we're forming an, an LLC. So we need our governing document, which is really my my agreement with the other person who I'm working with right. about how we're going to do business, how decisions are going to be made. Um, and if those things aren't spelled out well in the beginning, it can be really messy um, when you're trying to unpack things down the road, whether it's because um, you you know, you decide to go your separate ways or because someone else has another idea and they want to branch off and do something new. Um, you know, in the long term, partnerships may not continue into the future. And if you don't have it spelled out, how you're going to work out those issues, um, whether it means bringing in additional partners or selling your interest in the company, or um, if you just can't agree on a specific decision. If you're what's called the operating agreement, which is kind of the governing document of a limited liability company, if that doesn't lay it out specifically, it can be very tricky. Um, so the words matter a lot in the in that particular contract, and it can be so helpful if that's set up in a in a way that looks at the long term. In the beginning, in the beginning, it's easy to be very excited and, and very optimistic. Very <laughs> optimistic that this relationship is always going to be positive. We're going to agree about how to do things, and we're going to agree about how not to do things together anymore, if that's the case. But that off that that doesn't often track reality. So is it your job as the attorney to? almost play the healthy cynic and not the idealist and, and actually foreshadow, here's all the things that actually could go wrong. And it's not to suggest it will, but really just to be pragmatic and realistic and and then at least chart that course so that, God willing, it never comes to it. But if it does, you've got a clear path. That's right. That Our role is to play out the worst case scenario. And um, and if you draft the, the contract well, you can avoid that. So I, I, have you encountered... Um, businesses, business startups that are uh, individuals who are married, and how does that play in? Is it the same scenario? You really would suggest that they structure an ownership agreement, whether it's 50-50 or whatever, but they're putting on paper again um, just just for the sake of clarity 
down I would, the road. I would say that it's no different between married couples than it would be between um, two individuals who wanted to work together. So you have to look at that relationship as a marriage for business purposes regardless. And right. I, I would approach it the same way. And if you if you don't have one individual with a little bit more ownership than the other so that they have a little bit more voting power in the event that there's a disagreement, you might want to think about adding what we call a tiebreaker provision, which means that in the event of a disagreement, this neutral third party who we trust is going to cast the tiebreaking vote. So we've created the LLC. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm starting a Kevin's Amazing Bathing Suit Company. Sounds great. Yep. It's going to do well. Um, I, I think anyway. I'm incredibly optimistic about it. <laughs> uh, it's uh, myself and uh, my dear friend, Sean Kenny. We're going into it. Um, should we do 50-50? I'm comfortable with you doing 50-50. Okay. If you've got someone in there to, to – if you pull in an uh, so, Andrew Paxton. All right, to, so we'll, we'll have uh, our, our tall drink of water friend, yeah. Andrew Paxton. He's going to be He'll your He'll be tie the tiebreaker. All right, so we're starting – it's just Kevin's, though, because it was my idea. It's Sean – you know, he may be the model, but it's my bathing suits. So Kevin's Amazing Bathing Suit Company. It's an LLC, 50-50 partnership agreement. Uh, ownership agreement, and we have the tie break for our, our dear friend of ours, Andrew. So then what's the third step? Um, you mean in, in terms of the operating agreement? Yes, or, yeah. What's, what would the next piece of advice be? Well, I, w- I would suggest that you also want to make sure that aside from those three who are involved, you've got another team working around you. So it's not just mm-hmm. you working in um, a vacuum, but you've also you've got a lawyer that you've consulted to make sure that your agreements say that what they want to say. You want to make sure that you're working with an accountant mm-hmm. um, because tax matters can trip you up and get complicated very quickly. And some of, um, you know, I think completely unwittingly, I've seen a number of small businesses where they get started and they're just kind of rolling along. And it's not just a matter of paying income tax because mm-hmm. that's one tax that you have to think of. But there's a lot of other local and state taxes, particularly if you have employees that are really important and you can really get dinged on. So if you're not properly doing payroll um, withholdings, for example, that can get you into big trouble because it means penalties and interest. Um, and that can, that can um, really dig people into a hole if they aren't aware of that or not paying attention. If you need to be pulling out sales tax and remitting that to the state, depending on what your business is, if you're selling bathing suits, you may not have to because it's clothing Maybe and clothing exempt, right? for the most part um, is, is tax exempt in Pennsylvania. Um, but you, you want to make sure that you're, you're paying attention to all those. And even, you know, depending on what municipality you're working with or working in here in Pennsylvania, you may have local taxes mm-hmm. like mercantile and business privilege taxes. Gross receipts, that, all of those. Exactly, exactly. And um, if you, you don't know what you don't know, but your accountant is going to be aware of all of those things and looking out for them and making sure not just that you're getting your income taxes filed. That's important. But there's a lot of other tax matters to think of to make sure that you're 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 handling that properly. So it really seems like it's a scenario where a little bit of time up front can save hours and probably thousands of dollars on the back end to unravel something. And I have to imagine in a worst case scenario you've seen clients, you've seen businesses where you're really going back in and almost unraveling what could have been prevented. I've been doing business for three years and I've never been remitting sales tax. Right, what, right. what do I do about that? And there's, it's a big gulp when they come into the office and they realize that there's a, a, an important step that they missed. So it is important for any business to really start out on a good 
you know, with a good foot forward and, and take the time and have the patience to actually create that structure, which is going to pay dividends down the road. Yes, absolutely. And, and I would add to that that I, you know, and, and that would extend too to having bankers and insurance mm-hmm. agents that you're working with at the beginning. And I think there's also an added element that's kind of, um, you know, it's, it's a m- more of a soft element that helps your business is that you have these advisors who are on board with what you're doing early, early in the game. They're going to be your champions. They're going to be more invested right. in your success and in the outcome of what you're doing. Um, and so I think it, it only helps to have more people on your team. Right. And I can uh, just tell from the look in your eyes that you're really on board with this idea for these amazing bathing suits. I am. How could you not be, frankly? Um, <laughs> so then what next? So you've built your team. You've obviously got your product. You've got your structure. You've built your team around you of professionals who hopefully are vested and, and bought in and are supporting you. Then, then what's the next bit of advice? Well, I think um, you really want to think about insurance coverage. And I alluded this to a little bit uh, with regard to, to having a professional advisor on your team who's an insurance agent. And they can really guide you through the types of coverage that you need. I think it, it might occur to most folks that they're going to need a general liability kind of policy. Um, but they might not be aware if they have employees that they're going to be required to have workers' compensation insurance as well. Um, that, you know, if it's, it's fairly obvious that if you have um, automobiles, you're going to need auto insurance. Right. That's pretty clear. But you might not be thinking, if I have clients who I'm trusting, or excuse me, if I have employees who I'm trusting to handle money for me, do I have insurance that we call it errors and emissions insurance that's going to cover um, issues re- related to um, the handling of money. Right. You might specifically want a bond to cover theft um, and, and performance depending on what kinds of funds they'll be handling. So, and that kind of brings up a good point too, that as you, if you're starting out and whether you're, you're on day one, you have multiple employees beyond just the partnership and the ownership, but you've got employees from the get-go or managing that growth. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I imagine there's a whole slew of, of information that you would provide to structure it in a way from day one that whether it's starting the day with you know five employees and growing to 55 within a year, that it's at least you're, you're trying to prevent. It's a lot of precautionary measures. Absolutely, absolutely. And I would say, you know, on that note, it's never too soon to have an employee manual, Mm -hmm. even if you only have a couple of employees. So you're getting things started off on the right foot that you've got policies in place that have to do with vacation, sick leave, um, payouts. You have to think about whether or not your employees are entitled to overtime. Generally in Pennsylvania, if you're not specifically exempt and there's not a lot of employees who are specifically exempt, you're going to have to be paying overtime. Um, as well. So it's it's never too soon to have a, a manual. The words in your manual really matter, mm-hmm. but your practices matter just as much because you're going to rewrite your policy manual if your practices consistently don't match your policy manual um, inadvertently. So that's important um, to keep in mind as well. Um, you also, if you have issues with your employees, you want to start getting into the habit of documenting them soon and, and keeping good personnel files and all of your employees that that can be very important um, you know if you if you're later facing a, an adverse claim from a former employee I think it's really important that you take the time to understand a little bit 
wage and hour laws like we just discussed, Mm -hmm. whether or not FMLA is going to apply to you. Generally, you need to have more than 50 employees. That's that's sort of the baseline for FMLA to apply, but it's important to understand how that works if it does, um, to understand ADA issues, Mm -hmm. whether that has to do with your facilities or an issue that a specific employee is dealing with. And then, you know, um, EEOC and and PHRC, which stands for the Human Re- Pennsylvania Human Relations Commission kind of issues where you're looking at civil rights and making sure that you are, um, you know, you're honoring the civil Not rights of your employees. Yeah, exactly. Like mm-hmm. So if I start up the business, I've gone through all of these items, we're up and running, um, we're starting to see some success in the, those early months. Um how often should an individual in business be checking back with that team? Is there is there a menu? Is there a, a playbook? Or is it as needed? Or do you think there's kind of a, you know, again, every case is unique. Um, there's no one right answer. Um, there's nothing uniform. But is it often that they should come back and just touch base with you? I think a, a healthy way to approach that, and I, I wish that everyone, every one of my business clients did this, and, and they don't. But I think it's a great check-in to make an annual meeting, even if you are an LLC that doesn't necessarily require you to have an annual meeting. You have an annual meeting and your attorney's there and your accountant's there. Um, If you're going through some financing issues, maybe who you're using for banking is there. Everyone is there at, at the table at the same time. And so you're able to discuss where you are from the previous year and do some planning for the next year and, and even beyond if you need to do long-term planning and, and thinking. And because it's often can be a stop and start if you're just talking to your attorney, if you're just talking to your accountant, but you can really take advantage of having everyone in the room at the same time and working through some issues that can be a really, um, I think, a really beneficial way to make sure that you're checking in and and your team's got your back, and you're making good plans for your coming year. Almost make it as a, a strategic uh, perspective too, and really looking at forward, thinking what's the next year out going to hold. Absolutely. So I have to ask the question. We have some incredible law firms throughout your county. It mm-hmm. goes without saying, um, but we'll say it. But there is a tendency when entrepreneurs uh, are are trying to get that business up and running. Obviously, they're moving at 100 miles an hour. And they're more centrally focused on being up, running, being in business and making money. There are things like Google where they can go out and Google ownership, partnership agreements, stuff like that. Now, I'm not making a plug or anything like that, but, you know, does is there value in really sitting down with an attorney face-to-face and just talking through some of these things versus trusting what you can find with a quick Google search? I, there absolutely is. And you can find a lot of information. I think self-education is very important and it's very helpful, but I don't think that you can rely on it completely. Um, you know, and particularly if you're, if you're going out and, and looking for documents that you can use on your own, there, those may not be drafted for your particular situation. They may not be drafted for the state even. Um, and I'm not trying to talk myself into a job because I'm probably going to make a lot more money if you bring me in a bad agreement than right, if right, I right. draft you a good agreement right. <laughs> from the beginning. Um, but it's there's there's a lot of value, I think, into consulting your professionals. And if you're on a budget, we understand that. And we can work with you and we can carefully define the parameters of what, what we can do for you. And I think that's important for any business owner to do, whether they're coming to CGA or another law firm. Talk about the scope of work that you need and can afford with your attorney 
and, and work that through with them. So that, the expectations are there. It's kind of a good segue for uh, particularly, again, for a small business and upstart that's just getting up and running. Um, it can sometimes be a little fearful to call an attorney. Um, and, you know, there's fear of the unknown and the unexpected. So what is a normal financial relationship look like? Is it, you know, well beyond maybe just getting up and running? Is there, you know, what could a small business expect? And not asking for a price quote today, but mm-hmm. is it typically, you know, they could expect a flat rate? Is it something um, where maybe it's hourly to get going? Is it something where they should have an attorney on retainer? Um, so just to help educate the listener on, you know, that obviously could run the spectrum of small businesses. What's a normal financial relationship tend to look like just for their own perspective so they could have it in the back of their head? Well, every firm is going to approach this a little bit differently. So I won't say there's a wrong and a right way mm-hmm. um, about about how to do that. We generally will charge a flat fee for startup costs so because we can anticipate how much those are, are right. going to cost us. So we generally use a flat fee for startup costs and um, we will need usually to collect a retainer at least to cover our filing fees. There's a certain amount of hard costs that aren't costs that are coming from us. It's filing fees with the state, et cetera. So we'll typically collect those up front so that we know that we have that money to pay the hard costs and then um, establish a flat fee for the startup. And then ongoing work we do is on an hourly basis. And I, th- I think there are very, there are very few businesses um, that are of the size that would that I would require a retainer. Mm, okay. And you're not going to get my attention any more or less if you're on retainer with me. You're going to get my attention if you're my client, regardless. So if there's a need that comes up, you've you've got my attention. And I can truly attest to that because you can see Mika walking throughout downtown York. You'll see her on WRCT sometimes helping advise some of our local governments or in the local coffee shop. Um, <laughs> so. You know, one of the things that you had mentioned was locations and how to deal with, you know, managing, um, you know, site selection. Uh, so, you know, the Kevin's Amazing Bathing Suit Company is doing rather well, and we need some space. I've been operating out of the garage, you know, f- for the time being, and we need to manage, you know, finding a location. What What's some of the advice that you might offer? What should we be thinking about? Well, I, I think that probably some of the advice that I have is not about where your best location is business-wise because you're going to be able to figure that out. You're really good at what you're doing. You're selling the bathing suits. You know where that needs to be. But it's more the legal aspects that folks might not think about ahead of time. Um, whether you're going to lease or own, probably more, one of the more obvious ones, if you're if you're going to lease, have your attorney review your lease agreement because that that can be very problematic um, if you – if you sign a lease without negotiating the terms. And there probably is an opportunity for you to negotiate the terms. So we recommend that you have someone look at that, explain to you what it means if it's not negotiable, or negotiate some terms if it is. Um, If you're going to own the property, you probably want to think about setting up a separate entity as a Mm -hmm. holding company to own the real estate so then you protect the operations from from the building and the the liability doesn't cross-pollinate between there. So you're protecting um, both both valuable properties there. So setting up an entirely different LLC, would it be a LP? We, until very recently, we recommended a limited partnership structure, an LP, but um, they've eliminated what's called the capital stock tax here in Pennsylvania. So we're, we feel like we're free to say LLC is a comfortable ownership choice for real estate. Excellent. So I'd probably recommend an LLC. Um, but some of the other things that you might not want to think about before or that you might not think about before jumping in that can get really specific and can get really tricky are 
zoning? Are mm-hmm. you is does the zoning allow you to do what you want to do in that specific property? Um, and codes is this is this building up to code already? If I need to get it up to code to use it the way that I need to use it, is that going to be very expensive? Is it going to require a lot of upgrades for me? Um, if it's an older building, am I going to have to sprinkler it? Um, that can be very expensive to get up to code if it's not already. So you want to do your due diligence to understand what's required um, in terms of build out, if there's any, um, to, and whether or not there's any codes issues or whether it's ready to go. And so to, to your point then earlier, it would make sense then if we're purchasing real estate to likely not pur- purchase it personally um, or even in the company's name, but, but setting I would, up. The- I would set up a separate entity absolutely to, to own the real estate if you're going to purchase it. That's, that's a no-brainer to me. And then on the local side, you mentioned zoning, you mentioned mm-hmm. codes. You know, right. Obviously, there's likely an occupancy inspection to, to officially open the, the building. What about signage? That's right. And, and, I'll, and just to... to you know, you, you're probably going to need a zoning permit from your mm-hmm. local municipality and then what's called a certificate of use and occupancy. And before you're issued that, they're going to do a code inspection to right. make sure that it that it's required. Signage, think about that because zoning probably isn't going to allow you to put up any kind of sign you want. Um, so before you go buy a big expensive sign, go talk to the zoning officer and make sure that it's permitted um, under the zoning so that you're, you're buying a sign, spending the money on a sign that you can actually hang. So it's likely that if I want a 30-foot neon sign of a bathing suit, I probably should check with my local government. You probably should check with your local government. Okay. All right. But I like it. All right. Well, thank you. You're, <laughs> you're on my team. You, I think you also want to think about, um, you know, if, if you're going to have a lot of customers in and out mm-hmm. or a lot of employees, you want to think about ADA compliance, whether the building is already ADA compliant, if you're going to have to do some upgrades to get ADA compliant. And I mentioned before... In certain municipalities, there's business and privilege taxes. In certain ones, there's not. So right. that may influence where you choose to um, set up your business as well. Now, those don't apply to every business, so that that's right. important to know. Um, so it, it might not be an issue for you if it's if that's not the kind of tax that applies to your business. But again, I think it's just more merit to you know pumping the brakes a little bit and just having the forethought to think these things through. Talk to your council, talk to your friends, obviously talk to those on your team that you've set up right. to really get the best advice. Right. Because if, if you if you need zoning approval retroactively, it can be right. really problematic. You might not get it. It can be expensive. Um, it's much easier to think about those things forward-looking rather than trying to back into them. And I imagine that, um, again, you've seen the best cases of scenarios and the worst cases of scenarios. So... I'm sure that plays into the advice that you offer. Absolutely, absolutely. So spend the time, spend whatever little bit of money it may cost, but spend that time up front to save you know, hours and hours and potentially thousands on the back end. It's worth the time to do the analysis on whether the property works for you, whether you're leasing it or purchasing it. it it's worth the time and money to make sure that it works for you before you're making the investment of putting your business there. It can also hold you up for months and months if you have problems and you've got a business plan that says you're going to start operating in November, but you need zoning approval and you're not going to be ready to go until February or March. Right. So let's talk a little bit, if, if we can, maybe about that second phase growth. So um, we get the company up and running, 
and we're a year, two years down the road, things are actually doing quite well, surprisingly well. My bathing suits are just, we can't keep them in stock. We're just selling them like crazy. So now we're growing as a business and we're thinking of taking on investors. We need capital. I mean, what? so if I came to you, Mika, and I said, look, we, we just need cash, you know, what, what would your advice generally be? Well, there, there's two ways that you could go about it. You could go the very traditional way, which is to secure um, conventional kind of financing, whether it be a line of credit or some other kind of business loan to infuse a little additional capital. Um, but if that's not something, you know, based on on your assets and portfolio, if, if, the, if that kind of financing isn't attractive to you, you can be looking to bring in outside investors. And you've really got to think those relationships um, through very carefully because you need to think about, do I want to bring them in as as equity investors? So they're going to get a little bit of the company for the investment that they're making? Um, or do I just want to bring them in as they're they're going to just be lending money to my company and so they'll we'll have a note and we'll have to pay them back for the money that they're lending? Um, and if they're going to be equity investors, you really need to think through how that relationship will work. You probably don't want them to be voting because right. you want to be able to maintain control over the company. Or if they're voting, you want to make sure that you're maintaining a majority control. Right. So we're at the point now where we're hiring, you know, we're up to 15 employees. We're thinking of maybe hiring a, a handful more. And we have salespeople. We've got um, some manufacturing. We've got buyers. So, you know, we have a, a little bit of a workforce. And we we did the personnel get manual way back when on day one. But is it at a time where we should update it? How often should we be looking at that? I think that the personnel handbook is something that you could check in with on an annual basis when you do that annual meeting mm-hmm. with your attorney and your accountant and you're all in the room and you can check in and say, have there been any changes um, in federal or state law that I need to know about to incorporate in my handbook? Because that happens with relative frequency um, and it can happen with with changes in administration right. on a federal kind of level. So you need you need to be on the lookout for those kinds of things. You don't want to inadvertently have a policy in your handbook that violates federal or state law, most certainly. Um, and it's also a check-in to make sure, are these policies working? And for your company, are we following them? Right, right. Are we aware, you know, or have we gotten into another practice that's veering us away from what our manual actually says? And then do we want to change our manual or do we want to change our practice? What does that mean if we change it? You can talk that through and talk about the consequences of making those changes. So as you're advising some clients out there, um, obviously in York we've got great resources like SCORE or the Women's Business Center, obviously everything here at the York County Economic Alliance. Are there other traditional resources that you might suggest people stay attuned to um, without putting you on the spot? But And also, as you noted, you know there are court cases, there's uh, administrative decisions at the federal, state, sometimes even local level that will impact a business. So what is the best mechanism to try to stay abreast of all of that information? I, I think, you know, there there are all kinds of, um, of newsletters and updates and services that you can subscribe to um, as a business. But also, you know, locally, there are a lot of great seminars that are put on locally, um, you know, through YCEA, through a lot of different um, opportunities. And I would encourage folks to keep self-educating. I don't think you can you can do that quite enough. And you learn a lot when you're sitting in a room um, and, and listening to someone update you on a particular topic. And then it also leads you to ask a lot of questions that maybe you hadn't already been thinking about. Probably rather introspective <laughs> at times. So, 
Mika, I want to thank you for taking the time to, to, to stop in today and to talk with us a little bit about, you know, all of the resources that are available at CGA or throughout our, our, our legal community here in York. Um, you know, it is incredibly uh, beneficial to have the, the consultation of a lawyer, particularly at the onset, to structure that business as best as humanly possible to avoid any craziness down the road, which inevitably in the life of an entrepreneur, that's a daily occurrence. Um, but what we did not tell you was that at the uh, conclusion of these interviews, we mm -hmm. like to throw a lightning round of questions oh boy. at the yes participants. So, <laughs> so if you're ready and ready to indulge, you have not indemnified me. Um, so I can ask whatever question I would like at this point. <laughs> um, all right, you ready? Yes. Okay, <clears throat> Mika, what is your guilty pleasure food? Chocolate. If caught singing in the shower, what song are you singing? Oh, that changes all the time. What was it today? Um, I don't remember. Oh, all right. I'm sorry. All right. It, what's the – if something fun in the car and you're just singing it, was it Taylor Swift? It probably was. All right. We'll go with Taylor Swift. I have a nine-year-old daughter. It was probably Taylor okay, Swift. Okay. It was probably Taylor Swift. Mm -hmm. Pasta or meatloaf? Pasta. You cozy up to the bar and you're ordering your favorite cocktail. What is it? Gin and tonic. Nice. Uh, what is your hidden creative talent? Something that no one knows other than maybe the, those closest to you, but now all of these listeners will. I don't know if this is a creative talent, but I am. I can find anything that my children lose anywhere in the house within 45 seconds. That's actually probably a superhuman <laughs> skill. That's Wonder Woman. Uh, what was your first vehicle? F Ford Tempo. Nice. Um, do you remember either your senior prom theme or just your senior kind of high school song? Uh, our senior song mm -hmm. was Elderly Lady Behind the Lunch Counter oh, by God, Pearl Jam. Oh, God, get out by Pearl Jam. That takes it back. Mine was black by Pearl Jam. So <laughs> thank you for the Pearl Jam uh, senior song, buddy. Uh, everyone else in the room right now had good riddance by uh, Green Day. So. Great. Um, all right. Given it is at, as as the date of we, that we record this, it is October. What is your favorite Halloween candy? Uh, Kit Kat. Kit Kat. And what is your? I like Kit Kats too. Um, white chocolate or, or milk chocolate? Milk. Yeah, I agreed. It's OG. Yeah. Um, and what is your favorite movie? What's your indulgence? Uh, Goonies. Oh, nice. Well, Mika Driscoll, Goonies never say die. <laughs> and I want to thank you for being here with us today to talk entrepreneurialism and all of the great uh, benefits of having some good legal counsel. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Weiss EA podcast series produced by Bold Creative Media. For more information, visit us on our website at www.ycea-pa.org or call us anytime and talk to one of our experienced staff members at 717-848-4000. And always remember to start here.